I'm Linda von Tolberg for Bears News, and we have Andrew Rusk, an international director for Sable International, in our virtual studio to discuss the pitfalls of cross-border property investments. Hi, Andrew, and welcome. So, what are the pitfalls? Hi, Linda. Thanks very much for having me today. I think what I'd like to try and get across in this conversation today is things that we see where South Africans coming off a very emotional and quite a vulnerable state make a lot of irrational decisions when investing offshore. And what we see in, in the sort of offshore investment space, there's a, a, a real distinction between somebody who wants to make a, a real estate investment for real estate reasons, like you would if you're living in Johannesburg and you might buy, buy some property in Cape Town which you're going to put a rental tenant in, whatever. That's purely, you know, looking at a, at a real estate investment. There are lots of opportunities where South Africans can invest in real estate offshore and by doing so it could be a qualifying investment to either get a residency in a country or possibly even citizenship or passport. Um, but with that comes an enormous amount of things that, that one needs to consider and weigh up the risks versus what the potential rewards are. Do you find that South Africans tend to be quite emotional about it? In other words, I've got to leave now, got to make a fast decision. What motivates South Africans to take that step? I think to answer that question, I'd say more South Africans make bad cross-border investment decisions than South Africans who make good decisions. And the reason being simple, if you look at our currency business, we move money from the UK into South Africa and we move a lot of money from South Africa outwards. And, you know, anecdotally, over the years, I've been very involved in that business. When you remember the days when Pravin Gordon was fired and we had Desmond Roy and the Rand went to 24 to a pound. I think it was closer to 20 to a dollar. I mean, I had friends and clients phoning just saying, I want to get my money out of South Africa. And, you know, it is absolutely the worst time to do it when, when the Rand is highly, highly undervalued. You're overpaying. Mm-hmm. And to date, and we're talking about five, six years further on, the Rand has never been that weak again. So the Rand will always tend to track back onto a long-term trend line. But in that moment of watching the currency and feeling all the, the political pressure in South Africa, there's a lot of negativity that, you know, that is driven, I should say, not driven by the press, but amplified by social media and the press. People become emotional and dinner party talk, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, plan B, let's get out of SA. So it's certainly something people should be doing, but it's really about timing and it's about taking very considered steps in planning how you're going to either hedge yourself offshore through investment, if you're looking to relocate these are all things that have very different implications and, and potentially very large unexpected costs if you do do it wrong. So um, investing abroad for citizenship, the door has closed on, on some countries like Cyprus? Yeah, the, the citizenship by investment industry and residency by investment industry is a very interesting one because in the South African context, South Africans, we tend to operate and earn a pretty weak currency being the RAND. So South Africans are, are actually very cautious and quite sensitive to the pricing of assets offshore. But if you look at countries like Russia and Turkey and India, a lot of the wealthy people there earn their, their money in dollars. So what they do is they also don't have very attractive passports from a, a leisure travel and also from a business travel perspective. So, you know, it's not only South Africans who are looking to buy passports or buy residency. You, you've got all these other 
rather unstable countries around the world. So the trend has been a lot of unsavory wealthy people from places like Russia have been investing and buying European passports through countries like Cyprus. And from a, a money laundering and a, and a sort of a counter-terrorism perspective, banks have really tightened up globally on who's sending money and who's receiving it. And it's made it more and more difficult for people to run bad money into these programs. But historically, a lot of the programs have had quite bad reputation for letting unsavory wealthy people in the back door of Europe. Um, it is also very political. So, for instance, in 2020, October, it was Al Jazeera that, that lifted the lid on a scandal going on in Cyprus where, you know, officials were being bribed by predominantly investors from Russia and, and they were essentially buying European passports. And within a week, that program was closed down. And I don't think it will ever come back again. Then you've got, you know, you've got countries like Portugal, Malta. They, they're still running very interesting programs. And the due diligence on the investors is very strict. The source of funds. So people like ourselves who work in this space, it's, it's up to us to prove to those authorities the source of where the client's funds come from. In the South African context, it's quite easy because... South Africans can't move large amounts of capital out of the country without having a tax clearance from SARS. And generally, if you've got a, a SARS tax clearance to move your money, then the money's being taxed as legitimate money. So in our world, it's actually quite easy, but that is putting a lot of pressure on the industry as a whole. I've noticed that a lot of South Africans have arrived in the UK during lockdown. Have South Africans used lockdowns to reflect and decide this is a time to move? Absolutely. I think COVID's been a, an amazing kind of period for self-reflection. I think in the early parts of COVID, when it first happened, the entire world was in a kind of state of shock for two or three months when nobody spent money, nobody did anything, nobody made sort of far-reaching decisions. But, you know, in the time that followed, I think everybody sat down and said, what is life all about? And we've certainly seen it. An interesting observation is that we're getting more American inquiries for Americans looking to become Portuguese residents than we are for um, other nationalities that we typically see investigating Portugal. And it's I think there's a sort of a sense in every country that their government has handled COVID quite badly and maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I've had the privilege of traveling a lot during COVID and every country has handled it well and badly along the way. But yes, people have, have used the, the time of COVID to reassess what, what is life about? Is this where our future is? And we see a massive pent-up demand for South Africans to leave. And I was chatting to my manager in our investment migration business the other day, and she said there's been a marked change in inquiries from people investigating a plan B as opposed to people now talking about physically leaving. And I think to an extent the riots last year have played quite a big part in that and just highly publicised Zondo Commission where no real big hitters have gone to jail yet. I think people are quite disillusioned. Yeah, South Africans are definitely on the move at the moment. And what are the main destinations they're looking at? I think that people come in with, with a sort of a, a wide scope and they will sort of look at whatever's available. What we tend to see in the end is that people like to go to a place where English is spoken and English is understood. So really the Anglo-Saxon world, we have a business down in Melbourne in Australia, but as you know, um, New Zealand and Australia have been particularly harsh 
in the handling and lockdown of any foreign travel. So it's quite funny. I mean, people are now turning around saying, even if Australia would take us now, we'd never go there because they, they didn't like the way the Australian government handled it. So people have family and friends that they haven't seen for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are all sorts of other little sort of uh, considerations that have crept in. But the UK, very, very popular. There's no doubt. Um, that's our biggest immigration desk, if you want to put it like that. So, you know, we handle all sorts of immigration and visa aspects to the UK, skilled visas, spousal visas, student visas. The UK is still definitely in our business number one. So we were talking about actually investment for citizenship. When it's investment just for, you know, investing in overseas properties, where are the popular places and what are your recommendations? Yeah, international property um, has been something that's been quite close to my heart for a long time. And through the investment migration business, Portugal, Malta, etc., etc., you know, I've got to work with a lot of overseas real estate uh, developers. And we do have a lot of clients who've actually invested in Portugal, for instance, where it was purely from an investment perspective. They had no need for a golden visa. But I think that if you're looking from a South African perspective, there there are a couple of markets that we really like. Mm -hmm. Uh, We always like the UK. I just think that the UK offers you rule of law. It's a, a business and a legal system that I think we really understand. And I think the UK post-Brexit is going to do some magic stuff in the future, um, I personally believe. I think at the moment they're still having that post-divorce stress and post-COVID, but three, four, five years' time, I think the UK will be will be sailing well. And I think that if we look at real estate long-term, as a long-term investment asset class, I think that UK real estate is always interesting. And that's both from a going and buying in London perspective, but also the Northern Powerhouse. There's, there's some very interesting investments out there that will tend to give a clients a better yield. And we do have a, a mortgage brokerage in our wealth business in London. You know, people can put in as, as little as 30% and, and around to 70% mortgage. And interest rates are low at the moment. So actually gearing and investing in real estate in the UK can be very attractive. And that's certainly one market that we like. And then uh, we, we like Germany as well. We think that Germany is the leading light in the EU. It's a different currency zone. I think that the euro as a currency is, is a great currency to be invested in. Germany is always going to be, I think, for the foreseeable future, the, the engine room of the EU. And, you know, the certain cities that we've selected and found some really interesting investment stock, again, we can get... Um, mortgage lending for our clients. But those those are cities where there's good growth in terms of population growth, you know, economic growth, new businesses um, moving into the areas. Post-Brexit, a lot of financial services companies are moving into certain parts of Germany. So we look for those basic fundamentals that drive a market, and then we bring that to our clients in South Africa. So those are two sort of I think quite high-profile areas. We're, we're looking at Greece, funny enough, at the moment, because Greece, if you invest in real estate in Greece, you can also get residency. I don't think necessarily a residency that will ever translate into citizenship mm-hmm. because it's very difficult to become Greek. But for somebody who possibly wants to go and live six months a year in, in Greece or retire there, there's some very compelling opportunities there as well. Isn't the UK market overheated at the moment, the property market? I think you have to be very careful where you invest in the UK. And um, Linda, I know you live there. So 
you'd probably sort of feeling and seeing things on the ground that the average South African investor won't. Mm. Um, but I think it's like anywhere in the world. You know, I think the general sort of talk is that London's cooling down um, because I think London's probably been the property market that's been most affected by Brexit yep. because there's been sort of high-profile businesses that have moved to go and position themselves in the EU. But you also have to look at certain things. If you look at Unilever and Shell, for instance, they're both recently going through the process of delisting from the Amsterdam stock market and moving their legal headquarters to the UK. So the UK will fight back in time and create incentives for big corporates to either move to or remain in the UK. They're not going to just lie down and let it happen. So I think at the moment you'd probably pick up some good deals in London. So when the market's under pressure, it's a good time to look at investing. Mm-hmm. And then the northern cities, that's I think a lot more internal, you know, where the government has long-term incentives for British companies to try and decentralize and, and move the population from the southeast corner of England you know, further north. And, and I think that that's going to be a long-term, a long-term play as well. Yeah, and COVID and people working from home have accelerated the move to the north. Definitely, yeah. We, we as a business certainly don't advocate that you jump ship and leave South Africa, but we, we certainly do think in a global world where our, our sort of stock market and, and the value of the South African economy is 0.001% or whatever it is, is that you've got these fantastic offshore allowances and take advantage of them and, and make some offshore investments that are solid and, and use gearing and low interest rates that you have you know, at your disposal and give us a call. We'd love to help you explore. Thank you, Andrew Risk from Sable International. Thanks very much.